Who knows a person's thoughts except the spirit of that person which is in him? Now, I'm going to take a moment just to turn this microphone off. If you could turn the... seems to be fading in and out a little bit. So what have we seen so far here? We've seen that Proverbs 14.10 and 14.13 are descriptions in honest terms of our reality in this fallen world, of, of our lives under the sun. There is an ache somewhere underneath our laughter. And the full experience of our ache and or the full experience of our joy is restricted in the end, to ourselves. It is not ultimately shareable with other mortals. Now, interestingly enough, in several other places scattered throughout the book of Proverbs, we have repeated, and I would say very realistic, references to people who ache, whose hearts are heavy. Jennifer mentioned it in her prayer this morning. Some of us came in here with heavy hearts. So at 13.12, we have a person with heart sickness because that person's hope is deferred. In 15.13, we have the person whose spirit is crushed due to sorrow in the heart. At 17.22, and then again at 18.14, we have a person with a crushed spirit and at 25.20, we have a person, again, with a heavy heart. It's instructive, is it not? Proverbs names the pain, and it names the emotional distress that we often walk through in this fallen world. It doesn't, it doesn't um, um, engage in escapism, like a lot of Christians like to do. It doesn't uh, engage in denial it doesn't engage in a sort of trite, eupeptic, praise God anyhow sort of position, right? Some people do have heavy hearts. Some people do have a crushed spirit. Many people that you laugh with will be people who ache even as they laugh. Why? Because, friends, this life is often hard and creation is right now groaning. According to Romans 8.22, all of us, it doesn't matter who you are, we live exiled from Eden. Amen? Sin is in us and sin is all around us and it causes us to ache. So one good question to ask in all of this is this question. How can we help one another? How can we encourage one another? How can you and I bring light to another person as we all live in this current condition of our existence? What is the best, most fruitful way to bring real and lasting encouragement to one another. Now, I want us to go to three other Proverbs now 
where we are given some exhortations on how we can be of help to one another. So let's look at Proverbs 12.25. Now notice the first word of the verse. It's something that I personally have battled over the years. Anxiety. The first half of the verse reads, Anxiety in a man's heart weighs him down. Now, that, the word that we translate from the Hebrew as the English word anxiety here, it's a word that refers to the inward emotional response to threat, real or potential, or to the source of threat. One more time. The Hebrew word here in Proverbs 12.25 that translates as anxiety refers to the inward emotional response to threat, real or potential, or to the source of threat. So this is a worry word. And the verse says that this worry or this anxiety is in the person's heart. That is, it resides at the very core of the person. And the anxiety weighs the person down. Yes, anxiety forces a person downward. So the picture here is an anxiety-ridden person who's essentially knocked out of commission. But let's go now to the latter half of the verse. Do you want to be known as an encourager? I didn't hear anybody say yes. Do you want to be known as an encourager? I know I do. Watch this. Anxiety in a man's heart weighs him down. But what? A good word makes him glad. Now notice this that implied in the latter half of this proverb is an encouragement to each of us to encourage the people who are in our lives. A good word makes the anxiety-ridden person glad. So here we have, friends, notice this, a cost-free way, we're always trying to save money, right? A cost-free way for you and I to be entirely effective and entirely useful. Namely, to encourage a heavy-hearted person with a good word. And what's the good word that's mentioned here? Well, it's a word of encouragement. It's a word of careful and wise insight, perhaps. A word of thoughtful kindness. An edifying and uplifting word that's given to the person who we see in our lives who is struggling with anxiety and or discouragement. Oh, how we need to proactively and consistently encourage the heavy-hearted in this fallen world. Oh, that God would teach us to be pure encouragers who leave backhanded slights and personal agendas out of the picture. And we just give pure encouragement to somebody who needs it, no strings attached. Well, let's go next to Proverbs 15.30. I love this. 
The light of the eyes rejoices the heart. And good news refreshes the bones. You know, one of the great happy joys in this often difficult life is to see the radiant face of a good friend. Isn't that always a real consolation? To see the light of the eyes or the cheerful look of a good friend. The light of the eyes rejoices the heart. I'll never forget about four or five years ago now when my good friend Carl came to visit me in Calgary. He, he and I had not seen each other in person for several years because of distance. He lived in Toronto and I lived in Calgary. And at that time when he came, both of us in our own ways had been in, uh, sort of uh, journeying through some challenges in our lives And I was so excited to see him at the airport, to see the light in the eyes of my good friend again. It rejoiced my heart to see him walk through the airport terminal after he stepped off his flight. Friends, a great need for us today, and I would say especially to the men who are here, a great need in our day is to nurture our friendships and to invest in our friendships and strengthen our friendships, to do that work. The light of the eyes rejoices the heart. And second half of the verse, good news refreshes the bones. Now, the word bones here in this verse represents the entire person. Bones is what's called a synecdoche, where the part represents the whole. So that bones, the part, represents the whole, the entire person. So the entire person, says God, is refreshed by good news. Now, don't you just love to get a piece of good news? Isn't it a joy to get great news? It can lift you right out of despair. If you're despairing and you get really great news, it's such a help. Wasn't the patriarch Jacob refreshed in spirit? In fact, the scripture says that Jacob revived in spirit when he received the good news that his son Joseph was still alive. When all the while, Jacob had assumed that Joseph was dead. Good news refreshes the bones. Or, when the angels came with Good news of great joy to the shepherds in the field. The shepherds were so refreshed and so revived by the good news that they ran with haste to Bethlehem so that they could lay their eyes on the baby Jesus. Good news refreshes the bones. Now, the very best, highest most delicious news that you and I carry as believers in this fallen world is the news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We can refresh the bones, according to Scripture, we can refresh the bones of people around us by sharing the good news of the gospel with them 
in the right way at the right time with tact and with thoughtfulness and prayer. Always remember that as Charles Bridges has put it in his commentary on Proverbs, it is entirely delightful to the humbled sinner to hear the good news of salvation. It's entirely delightful. And to have his eyes enlightened to behold the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Good news refreshes the bones. Remember that truth, friends, as you venture through your week this week and as you encounter a heavy-hearted person somewhere who needs the hope of the gospel. Amen? Well, the last proverb that we want to think on briefly is Proverbs 16.24. I love this one as well. Solomon observes that gracious words are like what? Like a honeycomb. Sweetness to the soul and health to the body. Now in 1 Samuel 14.27, when Jonathan ate part of a honeycomb, it says right in Scripture, it had the effect of brightening his eyes. Wish I could have been there to see that. The honeycomb was sweet. And it was health to Jonathan's body. Well, our proverb says that gracious words are like a honeycomb. When you offer words of encouragement and comfort and kindness to somebody, there is automatically an uplifting effect to that person. We don't do this enough, do we? Gracious words are a benefit to the soul and the body of a discouraged person. And so we are each encouraged by Proverbs 16.24 to be dispensers of gracious words. I want you to think about somebody in your circle right now who seems to need some gracious words. And to help that person continue in the race of life, you are going to be proactive today or this week and you're going to go deliver those gracious words. See, I'm prophesying now. <laughs> but I really encourage you to, do, to go and give them the honeycomb. Now, because we are the New Testament church, of course we don't stop at Proverbs as we build a theology of encouragement and being encouragers. So there is a direct line from many of these verses we've looked at in Proverbs to several texts, especially in the New Testament book called 1 Thessalonians. So in 1 Thessalonians, we're going to go through this quick. In 1 Thessalonians 2.12, the Apostle Paul, he reminisces there about how he himself had exhorted and had encouraged and had charged the Thessalonian church to walk in a manner worthy of God. And then beginning at 4.13 down to 4.17, this is interesting, the Apostle Paul outlines in those verses details concerning the second coming of Jesus Christ, after which he says in verse 18... Therefore, encourage one another with these words. So that 
In that instance, the realities concerning the second coming are something that we in the church should regularly be encouraging each other with, comforting each other with. Now, this doesn't mean pulling out a bunch of end times charts and looking stern and saying, you know, this is about encouraging each other that, hey, your Lord is coming back to take you home so that you can live eternally with him. He's promised it and it's going to happen. So whatever you're going through right now is just a little tiny blip on the radar of your eternity and it is working, says Scripture. Your suffering is working something gorgeous and beautiful. It is not wasted. Still in 1 Thessalonians, uh, down at 5.11, again, after several verses that are about the second coming of Jesus, Paul says, 5.11, Therefore, encourage one another and what? Build one another up just as you are doing. So that there is this encouragement to us, is there not, in 1 Thessalonians, to be encouragers of one another using the promises that our God has given us. And finally, in 5.14, Paul urges us there, he urges us to encourage the faint-hearted. Notice that. We are to encourage those who are discouraged, who lack courage. So who in this moment in your life is discouraged and lacks Courage. How will you do this this week? Will you go to encourage a person? How will you do this? Will you do it in person? Will you do it by messenger? Will you do it by email? Will you do it with a handwritten note? Now, we are blessed in our day and age to have so many different formats whereby we can encourage one another, right? We don't have to write an actual letter and send it in the mail. We can do it instantly, electronically. Encourage you to do that. Well, as further encouragements to us to encourage others, we might also mention a couple places in 2 Corinthians very quickly where Paul encourages us to be encouragers. So 2 Corinthians 1.4, Paul talks there about comforting those who are in any affliction. And in 2 Corinthians 13.11, he commands the church, it's a command, for us to comfort one another. But the text that I want us to land on as we work all of this to a conclusion is the text that was read for us earlier, Romans 15, verses 4 and 5. Let's go there. Romans 15, verses 4 and 5. Watch what Paul says here. He says, Whatever was written in former days. And by that he means the Old Testament scriptures. The Old Testament scriptures were written in former days. When Paul was writing these words in Romans, at the time that he's writing these words, the New Testament scriptures had not yet taken shape. So in the context... Whatever was written in former days is a reference to the Old Testament scriptures. Paul says here that the whole Old Testament was written, why? For our instruction that through endurance and through what? 
through the encouragement of what? The encouragement of the Scriptures. We might have what? Hope. Notice first how encouragement here and hope are all sort of intertwined together in this passage. Encouragement and hope. And the specific encouragement that gives us hope is the encouragement of the Scriptures. Now, in the three verses from Proverbs, let's think through this. In those three verses that we looked at today where we were encouraged to be encouragers to one another, did you notice how they each focused in one way or another, they focused on words, right? On being verbal while somebody has a heavy heart to try and encourage them. So Proverbs 12:25, a good word makes an anxious person glad. Proverbs 15.30, good news refreshes the bones. Proverbs 16.24, gracious words are like a honeycomb. So friends, so much of our encouragement to others is going to take a verbal shape. Not all of it, but a great deal of it will take a verbal shape, a spoken shape. It will take the form of words. God has given us language and words as a major medium in our ministry of encouragement. And God gives the scriptures in the form of words. And encouragement in Romans 15 is directly linked with the scriptures. The encouragement of the scriptures. We need to grasp here. And I want you to listen carefully because this is so important. We need to understand that the supremely best words that there are to encourage another person are the words and the news that God has spoken and still speaks in the Bible. The encouragement of the scriptures. Notice something very important now in verse 5 of Romans 15. Paul goes on now to call God, notice, the God of encouragement. Do you know him that way? This is important because in verse 4, Paul just used the same word, the word encouragement, as he talked about the scriptures, right? Notice this. So in verse 4, it's the encouragement of the scriptures. And in verse 5, it's the God of encouragement. Now this is purposeful on Paul's part. He wants us to see that the encouragement of the scriptures and the God of encouragement are one and the same. As John Stott puts it, it's God himself who encourages us through the living voice of Scripture. Isn't that profound? It's God himself who encourages us through the living voice of Scripture. For God continues to speak through what he has spoken. So that, friends, the very reality of encouragement is built, divinely built in, I should say, to the Scriptures. The God of encouragement speaks to us the encouraging Scriptures. The encouraging scriptures are his encouraging voice. Amen? 
So if you really want to encourage somebody, be a person who has been feeding on the encouragement given from God in the Bible. Be a person who has assimilated into your bones and into your tissues the encouraging story and the encouraging truths and the encouraging promises and the encouraging plot of the Bible. Because, friends, what heavy hearts need in this fallen world is the health and the wholeness and the vitality and the wisdom of the revelation of Almighty God. It's His Word and no other word that is a lamp to our feet in this dark world and a light to our path. The unfolding of God's words gives light and it imparts understanding to the simple. Psalm 119, verse 130. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. Psalm 19, verse 7. Friends, it's the Word of God and nothing else that is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Hebrews 4, verse 12. And so I recommend to you this morning... And I want you to hear me well. I recommend to you that as Ezekiel was commanded to eat the words that God gave him, and as Jeremiah ate the words of God, and as the Apostle John on Patmos was commanded to eat words from God that turned out to taste like honey, Gracious words are like a honeycomb. So each of us needs to eat more of God's word because we are what we eat. Didn't your mom ever tell you that? You are what you eat. So when we take in the word of God and we internalize it and we let it be assimilated into our hearts and our minds and our nerves and our bones, we will be people who are unusual and noteworthy in our power to encourage others. Eugene Peterson writes this. I love this. He says, Christians feed on Scripture. He says, Holy Scripture nurtures the holy community as food nurtures the human body. He says, Christians don't simply learn or study or use Scripture. We assimilate it, taken into our lives in such a way that it gets metabolized in acts of love, cups of cold water, missions into all the world, healing and evangelism and justice in Jesus' name, hands raised in adoration of the Father, feet washed in company with the Son. So friend, if you would be the most effective, God-glorifying encourager that you can be, it will mean dining, (laughs) dining, 
on the word of God, on the word of the God of encouragement, as much as you possibly can. Now, what I want to do as we end today is to give the last mighty, encouraging word to the Lord Jesus Christ. So right before he went to the cross, notice, he's got a lot on his mind, right? Right before he went to the cross, Jesus, who, note this, is the God of encouragement come in the flesh. Jesus gave his troubled disciples the ultimate encouraging honeycomb. He gave his troubled disciples gracious words that were sweet to their souls and health to their bodies. The the disciples at this point, we have to note, were especially heavy in their hearts and crushed in their spirits because Jesus had been promising to go away from them. And they were confused by that and they didn't understand what he meant. And so at John 14, verse 1, Jesus, the God of encouragement come in the flesh, said something to to the disciples that he says to us today. No matter who we are, whether we fancy ourselves in the role of encourager or whether we fancy ourselves as a person who needs to be encouraged. Jesus says to all of us who tread through life in this fallen world, he says, and I want you to take this personally, he says to you, let not your heart be troubled. Is your heart troubled this morning? Did you come in pasting a smile on your face, but inside in turmoil? Jesus says to you, let not your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. And he also says to us in verse 27 of this same chapter of John 14, take this personally. Peace I leave with you. My peace. I give to you, not as the world gives, do I give to you. And here it is again. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. Verse 1 and verse 27. And in between those two verses, still in the 14th chapter of, of, of John, Jesus showers us with so much encouragement here. For one thing, if you're a believer, he promises you that right now he's preparing a place for you so that you will be with him eternally. That's true no matter what circumstance you face. So how is that for an encouraging and true word, a good word to make you glad as you travel through this often difficult World, But what I really want us to see in John 14 is this. Now look at this. Remember all of those places that we mentioned in Paul's letters where we had the word encourage or encouragement or comfort. So again, they were verses like 1 Thessalonians 4.18 and 5.11 and Romans 15.4 and 2 Corinthians 1.4 and 13.11. Well, in all of those places in Paul... The original Greek word in the text is the same word. It's the word in Greek, parakaleo, which means to encourage, to exhort, to comfort. 
Well, in John 14, 16, and again in John 14, 26, Jesus calls the Holy Spirit the parakletos, the helper. The word parakletos, helper, is from the same word group as parakaleo, encourage. In John 14, Jesus promises the troubled disciples that the Father will send the parakletos, the helper, the counselor, the encourager. The parakletos is the third person of the triune Godhead who is sent to the believer to encourage. Isn't that remarkable? And to strengthen and to advocate for us. And Jesus says something amazing to us in John 14:17. Notice this. He says that the parakletos, the spirit, the encourager, dwells with the believer and is in the believer. Look at 14:20. Jesus talks there about the believer being in him in Jesus. So we're in the Spirit and in Jesus so far in John 14. And at 14.23, Jesus talks there about himself and the Father making their home with the believer. Now all of these, friends, are terms of special intimacy. They indicate the close and personal and deep and profound and living relationship that the believer has with the triune God, Father, Son, and Spirit. Now remember near the beginning today, and then I'm done. Remember near the beginning today when we looked at Proverbs 14.10. Remember that verse, that achy verse, the heart knows its own bitterness and no stranger shares its joy. We pointed out there how on the strictly human-to-human plane, our deep sorrows and our deep joys cannot be fully shared by another human being who lives on the same plane as we do. And remember also Proverbs 14.13, even in laughter the heart may ache, And the end of joy may be grief. We pointed out there how underneath our moments of laughter, there is that undercurrent of ache simply because we live in a fallen world. Well, the good news, the encouragement that I have for you is that the level of sharing and intimacy that we have as believers with Father, Son, and Spirit according to John 14, is so much deeper than any strictly human-human relationship can ever be. God in three persons knows, I want you to hear this, He knows every inch of our hearts. He knows the deepest depths of our sorrows. He knows the deepest depths of our joys. God, is the one who knows the heart. He has plumbed the depths of us. He understands us fully, 
from top to bottom, sideways and otherwise, and he sympathizes completely with the ache that we feel in this fallen world. So whatever your inner condition is right now, I want to tell you that God knows the big details about it and he knows the very minutest details about it. And he says to you, O troubled disciple, and I hope you hear him in your bones, let not your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. Friend, be encouraged in Jesus this week and be an encourager to others in the power of the encourager who knows you better than you know yourself. Let's pray together. Lord, to whom else would we go? You have the words of eternal life. You are the one who has masterminded the entire plan to bring us from darkness of heart and futility of thinking and deadness into a glorious, illuminated relationship with you. We thank you that you loved us first so that now we love you. We thank you for walking through us in all the vicissitudes of life, in every circumstance that we will ever face. Lord, you are there and you understand and you know and you are for us and not against us. We praise you and thank you today for for the fact that you are who you are and your promises have come true, are coming true, and will come true. In Jesus' name, amen.